0: Kaylee. Yeah. I love that idea that all we gotta do is mention the name of Jesus. And the truth is that in Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. The new has come to the doorstep of your life today. Jesus has such a bright future for you. He has such a beautiful life to call you into because in Christ we find life. In Christ, as Kaylee just prayed, we find the fullness of joy nowhere else. And I love the way that Paul articulates this to the church in Colossae. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. All things hold together when they are in him. And he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased He was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. Jesus came to make peace with you and to give you peace, to demonstrate what you and I are made for. Overflow, I could not be more glad that you are in the room or online with us tonight. I'm very expectant for where we're gonna go over the next few minutes. And I'm just really glad to welcome you to the first dating series of 2023 at Overflow called Dating, Why Bother? We can clap for that if you're here to talk about dating. If this is your first night at Overflow, welcome. My name is Carson, I'm the director of Everflow. Turn to the person sitting or standing beside you and ask them, is it worth it? Is it worth it? That's the title of the message tonight. You can grab a seat where you are. Is it worth it? I believe by the end of our message tonight, we will see that it is worth it to live in God's way and to trust him with all that we are. I'm so glad The energy in the room feels good. Who said that? Come on, was that Emma? Yeah, it does. What if we incorporated that a little bit into our culture around overflow, a little bit of active listening, I like it. Uh, I am, I'm so excited about tonight and I I have been praying into it. I have read and read and read. Uh, Jenna, who's on staff with us the other day, picked up my book bag Uh, for me to get it out of the back of my truck. And she said, goodness, Carson, do you have a library in here? And I have been reading and reading and reading, preparing for today uh, because I want to give you uh, what I feel like God has for you and I want to give you what I believe that you need because navigating dating relationships, romantic relationships, uh, talking about your sex life uh, can be really, really challenging. Uh, And tonight, there is not a corner of the conversation that we're not uh, going into, we are going to open the entire conversation tonight, uh, which I'm really, really excited about. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I were on vacation with our family, some of you have heard this story before, forgive me if you have, uh, and she comes up to me and she says, Carson, I have a book for you. And I was like, Maddie, we're on vacation. This is Sabbath, like, this is, this is rest, like, I, I'm good. I don't need to read a book right now. And she's like, no, 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 Carson. Like." This is, this is important, I, th- I think you need to read it. And I was like, what is it, a book about marriage? Or like dating, like are you trying to tell me something? You'll, you'll know this one day when you get married, sometimes when your spouse asks you to read a book, you're like, oh, this is you communicating with me about something I need to do better at. But uh, there's so many things for me, I'm sure Maddie could give you an extensive list. But uh, she gave me the book, I said no, uh, she gave it to me again a couple days later on vacation, and finally I agreed to read it. And the minute that I opened it up, I was immediately hooked. Uh, and I read the book in less than a day, sitting by the pool where we were, and I got to the end of the book, and I started to cry. Because I had realized in the reading of that book that I had been living out my faith entirely incorrectly. I had thought that I was living out the call of Jesus on my life, but I, I was actually really, really far from it. And if you know the story, the book is called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. It it just absolutely, totally changed the trajectory of my life and the way that I saw the Bible and the way that I see Jesus and the way that I see God's calling on my life. And the reason that I tell you this story is because everybody always, the idea is a central value of mine. You can ask my intern team. We talked about values with them early in the year. Everybody always is very important to me because I believe that Jesus was everybody always. I don't believe Jesus was some people sometimes. And if we're all being really honest, we prefer some people sometimes because we prefer to just be around the people that agree with us, that think the same way as us, that do the things that we like, that affirm the parts about us that we are most insecure about. But when it comes to putting an idea of we've got to love and care for everybody, always, it's a bit of a challenge, especially when it comes to a dating series. And I hope that you'll know that on the bottom of my shoes tonight, there's an E and there is an A, because I value everybody always, which means I value you. No matter what you believe, no matter what you disagree with me about, no matter what your struggle with the Bible is and no matter what your story is like, I love you. And I believe God loves you, too. And when I think about starting a dating series, it's really quiet in the room. We can, we can have like a big breath. Somebody, somebody, somebody back in the back is nervous. Uh, I've been thinking about several different things. And I really wanna be honest with you. I wanna be transparent. With you, And I started thinking about what would it look like to give this to you. And I I thought about it through the way of like, if I could write Overflow a letter and give it to every single person, I would. Because there are some things that I I want to be really intentional with about how I say and how I put it it in front of them. So I have written you a two and a half page letter. I've worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And I think I'm ready to share it with you. And I'm going to read it to you because I really wanna be intentional with how I say a couple of things. And here's what I'm gonna ask. I want you to stick in it with me until the end. No matter what you hear along the way, I'm just asking you to stay with me through the end of this letter. And then if you would like, you can discount everything else that I have to say in the message tonight. I would obviously encourage you not to do that. But if you can just commit with me, nod your head, if you can commit with me really quick to stay in it with me, for the next three to six minutes, depending on how fast I read it. Sound good? Let's get started. Before we begin, there's a long list of topics that are hard, sticky, and difficult to talk about. I have come to believe that love moves us in the direction of people with availability, honesty, and clarity. And in our world today, in 2023, when a church says that it is going to talk about marriage, sex, or sexuality, people lean in as they are very curious for the church's perspective. I assume this is for one of two reasons for you. One, the the, the first reason could be dating and marriage are hard, while sex is easy. People don't know fully what to do, but they, they know the weight that they feel is too heavy to carry on their own. The second reason that you could be leaning in right now, is that you are nervous as to what the church's opinion is because of how it may not align with your own opinion or how it might make you feel. And here is my heart in the clearest of terms. You need help with your dating life, with your sexual activity, with your singleness, and with your potential married life one day. The reason I know this is because we all need help. And the truth is, is God has a beautiful plan and intention for your relationships, your sexuality, and your gender. The conversation around sexuality and gender deserves deep and intimate conversations that are initiated in the context of relationship. And for far too long, people that look like me and talk like me have stood on stages just like this one with really loud microphones and railed against people in the name of Jesus who identified himself as gentle and lowly. People in the church have often leveraged purity culture against people instead of helping them see God's beautiful design and intention. This has caused people to be afraid of talking about sex in the church, and this has led to so many to feeling shameful when they feel as they can never belong to God or have a healthy sex life. In a book that I read recently, a conversation was recorded between a pastor and some leaders of the LGBTQI plus community where they shared some of, the, that some of the worst things, some of the worst things that had ever been said about them had been said from behind a pulpit or on the stage of a church. To all of my friends in the room tonight, and watching online who would identify as a member of either one of those communities on behalf of the church and the man named Jesus that I read about in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts and the other 61 books of the Bible point to I'm sorry and we repent for how the global church has spoken about you. We as a church, are committed to people. No disclaimers, no exceptions, and no red tape. We reach people and we help them walk with God. A calling that we are proud of and confident has been given us by God. If you look at the life of Jesus, you will see that he calls us forgiven sons and daughters, and that's it, end of story. For those of you that need a little bit of proof, John chapter 4, Jesus gives dignity to a woman who is widely known for her promiscuity. John chapter 8, Jesus says to a woman caught in the act of adultery, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Mark 5, 34 says the story, it tells the story of a woman who is considered dirty and unclean because of her hemorrhaging that lasted years. Jesus looks at her when she approaches him and says, Daughter, your faith. Has healed you. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus declares that he has the authority to forgive sins. And he forgives and heals a man and then refers to him as son. All 37 miracles of Jesus reveal God's heart is to forgive and to restore. In the midst of Jesus' compassion and forgiveness, he was honest though, to the point that it cost him his life. Honestly, honesty was. One of the many ways, one of the many ways that he proved his love for us. And today, I must be honest with all of you. I have good news and I have bad news. Let me start with the bad and end with the good. Living in the way of Jesus and the way that God intends will cost all of us something. End of story. No matter your sexual orientation or your relational desires, following God with your dating life and your sexual activity will cost you something. And the good news is, it's worth it. When we look at the story of the Bible, there are two significant wedding ceremonies, one in the beginning and one at the end, and they both capture God's beautiful design and intention. Let's start in the beginning. In Genesis chapter one, verse 27, we see the story of Moses recording. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the sky and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In Genesis 2, we see Moses as the one who is writing the book, zoom in on the first of the two weddings and the ordination of marriage. In Genesis two eighteen, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Ladies, when you think about the word helper, hold tight with me till next week and I will explain it very, very clearly. But then God created Eve in the story. In Genesis chapter two, verse 24, it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Hang in there with me, we're almost to the end. This is the very text that Jesus quotes when talking about marriage, a a section that we will cover in detail next Tuesday. If you want to read ahead, it's Matthew 19 and Mark 10. But ultimately, This leads to our humble posture, our humble posture, that God created sex, sexuality, and gender with a beautiful plan and intention. He created a venue for sex and it's called marriage. And when God made marriage, he brought a man and a woman together and ordained their marriage as a means to bear fruit and multiply the earth while mimicking the image of the one who made them. God's image on earth in humanity is reflected in marriage by both halves, of God's instilled image, male and female, coming together in selfless unity. Here is our posture. We do not stand on issues. We do not rail on them. We walk with people, people in our church, people in this room, and people online right now probably disagree with some of the things that I just said, and that is okay because the success of our church doesn't rise and doesn't fall with our agreement, but rather our unity around the person and the way of Jesus. Paul speaks to this in his letters to the church in Ephesus, Rome, and Corinth. Ephesians chapter four, verse two. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, not some, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Romans chapter three, for all have sinned. How many? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. First Corinthians chapter two, verse two, for I have resolved, Paul is writing, to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and pervasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. At the end of our Bibles, we find the second wedding story, a huge wedding banquet where heaven and earth meet. People from every nation come together and dine with their creator. Our calling until that day is to live as God's distinct and royal priesthood on earth as we will be in heaven. God has a design and an intention for your life. We are confident of this, and we are committed to helping you see it and to walk in it. Our table is big, diverse, and messy, and no matter what you believe, you have a reserved and secure table, seat at our table. We are committed to caring for you, being honest with you, and helping you walk with God. You are a part of my everybody always. I love you, and I believe and know that God loves you, too. That is my letter to you, because, it's okay because I care about you, because I care about God's intention for you, which is why I want us to wrestle with the question, dating, why bother? Because when it comes to romantic relationships, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to the big questions of our day, we must handle them with immense care. We must see people over problems, and we must go to the teaching of God, to his intention and to his creation to look to where we will get our cues from and where we will get our insight from. So the question that I have for you is very simple, is who has authority? When it comes to your dating life, when it comes to your sexual activity, who has authority? And yes, I'm of the opinion that you should give authority to God But just for a minute, can we just slow down long enough to be real and honest? In light of your current life right now, who has authority? And we're gonna do a couple different things tonight. (laughs) Uh, We're gonna gonna talk about dating 101 for a few minutes because some of you might not be here next week and I want to give you a couple things while I have you. Uh, And then we're gonna talk about how to break up. That's gonna be an awkward conversation. <laughs> uh, then we're going to talk about how to thrive while you're single, and then we're going to land with talking about when to have sex. Light night. So let's jump in. Uh, Maddie and I started dating uh, 10 years ago, which is pretty crazy. Uh, 10 years ago, on I believe it was March 23rd, I guess I should know that, that date. Uh, Let's hope she's not watching online right now. I, I, I don't think that's right. But uh, <coughs> nobody texted her. I said something a couple weeks ago and I got off stage and she was like, you said what? Uh, but we, our first date was to Tower Seven at Wrightsville Beach and I was so nervous uh, because I was working at the church at the time and I told myself, Carson, you can date any girl in the church except for the pastor's daughter. Like, just be smart. You know, like, you like your job, you want to stay here, probably want to have a career here, just what's the wise thing to do, you know? <laughs> well, here we are. Uh, we started, we went to Tower Seven, we had a great conversation, we come out of lunch, we're going to get in my car, uh, which was like a dinosaur at the time, uh, and we were gonna go to Access 10, where we typically go when we go to the beach, uh, and we were gonna go walk, or that was at least typically where she went. And, uh, we got to my car and there was a little orange envelope underneath my windshield wiper as a parking ticket. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I've taken the pastor's daughter out. I've got to impress. Like, I, I, can't, I can't be this guy that gets a parking ticket on the first day. What's Mike going to think about me? And all these, like, <laughs> thoughts, like, started flooding into my mind. I'm like, I've ruined it. Like, I've ruined it. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to be fired. I'm going to lose my girlfriend all in the same day. It's going to be the worst day of my life. And I remember the, kind of the, the thought process that, like, ensued from that. And I still have this cough. I was sick two and a half weeks ago, and I'm still coughing. I don't understand why. I guess I need some tea and honey. But um, we, uh, we started talking, and I was like, Maddie, I'm so sorry that I got a parking ticket. And she was like, why are you sorry? Did you choose to get a parking ticket? And I was like, no, but like, I'm sorry, this doesn't, this doesn't look very good. And here's the, here's the thing. She had so little expectation in that moment because she was just happy to be with me. My expectation was that the date went perfectly. And I was placing all these different things on, like trying to force it to have a, a good relationship and a, and a healthy relationship on date number one. And she's like, Carson, no, 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 like I'm just excited that we're together. And I'm here to tell you, she still feels that way. Like it's a miracle of God. Ten years later, she still enjoys being with me. She still enjoys going to lunch at Tower 7. I have no idea why. I talk her ear off all the time. And it's 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 beautiful. But the reason that I tell you that is we all come into relationships with different perspectives as what do we have to do to make it work. And I think that Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica has so many things that I think are so important for us to harness. So if you have your Bible, let's jump to 1 Thessalonians chapter one, uh, verse two. And the, the letter of 1 Thessalonians is actually kind of a praise report. Timothy went, Paul's friend, Timothy went to the church in Thessalonica. He saw all that was happening and he liked what he saw. So he came back to Paul and he had this like raving review of, the, of how they were doing at living out their faith. So 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse two says this. When Paul is writing back to them, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your, lo- your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And I think if you were to kind of like look back at, at verse three, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Those things jump off the page at me. And yes, Paul is not talking specifically about dating. If you actually have done your research, you will find that there is no specific dating advice in the Bible. The Bible talks about singleness and the the Bible talks about sex and the Bible talks about marriage. The Bible does not give us very clear terms for what it looks like to be really successful at dating, but we're gonna talk about that in great detail next week. But here's what I want us to see is a healthy perspective on dating and marriage. It takes work, produced by faith. It will require labor prompted by love. And it will also require endurance inspired by hope in Jesus. It's going to require work, some things that are enjoyable, that are motivated by our faith. It's gonna take labor, some really difficult things, some things that you wish that you wouldn't have to do, some things that you wish you didn't have to believe that are motivated by God's love in your life. And it will require endurance because here's the truth. If your sole purpose in dating is to find fullness, cure insecurity, or satisfy your sexual desires, you are in it for the wrong reasons and pain is on the horizon. I love you enough to be honest with you. This is the truth. If the reason that you want to date somebody is to find fullness or to feel less insecure, or to just find somebody that satisfies your sexual desires. Destruction is in your pathway. That's not why God made it. God has a better, bigger vision for you. To sum up, what I believe dating is, is it simple, is dating is learning, serving, and practicing devotion. It's learning about your future partner, it's learning how to serve them, and it's practicing being fully devoted to God. And don't confuse practicing devotion to your partner. Practicing devotion in this context, learning while you're dating somebody, what does it look like for me to be fully devoted to God while I'm in an intimate relationship that wants to consume all of my time, all of my attention, and get all of my trust for success in my life. Dating is where you and I say, we're gonna, we're gonna slow down we're gonna get everything out of this that we are made to get. We're gonna choose to be really, really devoted to God because here is the truth and the reality. Is anything, not just in the context of dating or sex, anything that muddies the water between you and God needs your immediate attention and your unconditional surrender. If you're a Jesus follower in the room, this applies directly to you in your current life. When It does not matter if it's school, if it's dating, if it's friends, if it's family. No matter what it is, if it's muddying the water between you and God, it's time to pay really, really close attention to what it is. Why is it there? Whose authority is it under? Because if we don't pay attention to this, we just drift further and further and further from God, from God's way, from God's fullness, from God's joy, from God's provision, because in in the life of Jesus, he set forth a perfect example for you and for me of what it looks like to live life and life to the full. He didn't just come to give it. He came to show it. So let's jump in to conversation one of tonight. I know we're 20 minutes in and we're just getting to conversation one. I promise you I'm gonna do my best to get us out of here on time tonight. How to break We are starting the dating series with the end in mind, because here's the thing. When we talk about dating in church, we seldom talk about breakups. And I'm not, do not raise your hand, do not stand up, and do not look awkwardly at your neighbor. But we've probably all been through a breakup. Some of you are currently in one, and they're also here. Some of you are dating somebody and you're sitting beside them and you're like, uh-oh, dude's talking about breaking up. <laughs> That's nervous, uh, that makes me nervous. Uh, here's the, can we just protect our relationships for the night, is that fair? Like, don't break up in the parking lot, okay? Like, like just, just give it a big, deep breath before you make any crazy decisions. And don't you dare blame it on me, Okay? I can just hear it now. My boyfriend broke up with me because you, you said this. That's cool. Okay, so <laughs> I have an encouragement to someone who's struggling with a breakup, and then I have instruction to everyone either going through, thinking about, or potentially might be in a situation where you are going through a breakup. The encouragement comes out of Psalm 27. And it's a, it's a chapter in Psalms that I read almost every night it's oftentimes one of the last things that I see before I close my eyes and I go to sleep. <clears throat> Not because I'm in a breakup, but because I'm, I'm a human. I'm going through hard things just like you are. I have struggles and difficulties in my life that I need a reminder, a perspective that orients me back to the truth of God. Psalm 27, verse 13 says this. I rem-, David writes, I remain <laughs> That cough thing, guys, it's ridiculous. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living in the present day. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Wait. Patience. The realization that God has you, that God has a plan for your life, If you're struggling in the midst of a season of breakup right now, this is for you. God sees you right where you are. God is asking for all of you and God is committed to you, to prosper you and to bless you and to keep you and to protect you all the days of your life. The second (laughs) encouragement is for how do we do a breakup? Well, I brought six things here they are. The first, be gracious. This seems obvious. It's so important that we choose grace in the midst of a breakup. Remain hopeful. Remain hopeful that God has something for you. We're gonna talk about singleness here in just a minute. Pursue understanding. Don't just write it off. Learn everything that you can learn from that conversation, from that relationship, in the midst of that breakup. Pursue understanding. Choose empathy for the other person. This is gonna take work, but you've got to choose it. This is how you navigate it well. This is how you reflect Jesus to them in the midst of a breakup. Take responsibility. I'm not suggesting that you need to take responsibility for something that you did not do, but take responsibility for everything that you did do, for everything that you can. Honestly, I hear a lot of people say a lot of times like the lead breakup line is God told me to. Hmm, okay, God told you to. That might be true, it, it, it might. But we speak about that and we like use that phrase as if like God wrote it in a cloud in the sky. Break up with Patrice, Patrice. Uh, I can't talk. The only reason I use that name is because I figured there was nobody here named Patrice, but maybe there is, and I just really dug a hole. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. We've got, we've got to be willing and humble to take responsibility and own what we can own. And here's the reality. Like, I love our Pastor Mike has, has led me in this for so long. If you're going to make a big decision in your life, don't make it. And so you've been consistent with your time with God for at least three weeks. There's nothing magical about three weeks, it's just kind of a, a period in time where it ensures that you have been consistent. And humbly, please do not use the God card if you haven't been consistent in your quiet time for three weeks. Pursue God, pursue understanding of what he's asking you to do in your dating relationship. And go back to what I just said a few minutes ago. If it's muddying the water between you and God, you need to give it your immediate attention and you need to hold it with very, very open hands. But be honest with the person. Since when did us not being compatible with somebody become a mechanism to judge somebody for not being good enough? Think about it, that's what a breakup is. We, I hear it all the time, we went our separate ways. Okay, that means your vision in life and their vision in life didn't match. We're gonna talk about that next week of who to date and why to date them and why marriage is so important. But be willing to take responsibility and then make Jesus' mission your own. In John 10, uh, Jesus says that I came in to, to give life and life to the full. But right before that, he talks about the enemy strategy to steal, kill, and destroy. And breakups, steal, kill, kill, and destroy so much. Not because you're in the middle of a breakup, but because of how you treat the other person in light of the breakup. Your calling as a Jesus follower doesn't go out the window when you're having relationship troubles, it actually gets tested. In the hard moments and in the moments of tension, our character gets revealed, it gets shown. So if you're gonna break up well, apply these six things. And don't break up in the parking lot tonight. The Next idea, singleness. (laughs) The gift that no one wants. Girl in the back said, yeah. Singleness, the gift that no one wants. First Corinthians chapter seven, if you have your Bibles. There's an entire chapter on singleness from Paul. A couple of things while you're moving there in your Bible. Uh, Paul was single. Uh, Some scholars believe that he was actually widowed. Um, There's not necessarily evidence for that, but that is a a working theory. Um, Paul was a big, big um, builder of the early church, and Peter was also a big builder of the church, and Peter was married with kids. Paul was single, and if you look at the amount of writing that Peter did and Paul did, you'll see that Paul leveraged his singleness for the building of God's kingdom. He leveraged his capacity for the building of God's kingdom, and that's what you're gonna see in the text in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse seven, he says, I wish all of you were as I am. It's like, okay, bro, I want to get married one day. I don't know how I feel about that. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And here's the, the reality. When we think about gift, I think we have a bit of a skewed perspective. If you look back at the Greek, you'll find that the, the, the word gift comes from, um, what does it look like to be, have charisma or be charismatic, which means drive or passion. And that stems from the same root word called charis, which is a Greek word that also means grace. And this idea to Paul of drive and passion and, and this, this sustaining power for what you're in is connected to the word grace. So don't miss this. When when Paul says that singleness is a gift of its own, it means that it's a season of your life or a reality of your life that God intends to empower you in. Grace is not just limited to God saying everything's okay. Grace is God saying, I'm gonna empower you along the way. And I, I think that we've got to have a fresh vision for what grace is, and here it is. God's grace is his animating, empowering, and sustaining presence inside of you that enables you to participate fully in God's kingdom. Check that out. It's, it's Him saying, I'm gonna bring you to life no matter what season you're in, no matter whether you're single, no matter whether you're dating, no matter where you're, whether you're married. If you draw near to me, I will provide for you. I will give you the words to say. I will give you the resources to navigate the tension that you are facing. Paul jumps back into the text a little bit later on 1 Corinthians 7 verse 32. I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion. This gives us such a refreshing and helpful perspective as to how do we thrive while single. Because singleness is where we are to learn devotion, solidify our identity, and be focused on building God's kingdom. Check this out for all the single people in the room and you're like, yo, can can I meet somebody? (laughs) This is not about that. You have a role to play right now while you are single in God's kingdom that you will not always be able to play especially if you get married. Take this from somebody that is married with an eight-month-old at home. My availability to ministry and my availability to the church, even though it's my job, like I, I have to be here 40 hours a week or I get removed. Like I, 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 have a, I have a calling on my life, but my capacity and my availability to build con- God's kingdom is a little bit limited in the ministry sense. Now I'm building God's kingdom at my home, and there's a whole other piece to that that's so critically important. But don't waste the years that you're single. You have something to participate to the church, participate in with the church. You have something to contribute to the church. You have so much time. I hear people say all the time, uh, "I don't have that much time anymore. I'm, I'm too busy." I'm like, <laughs> you, I was writing a message the other day at the pediatrician when my daughter was sick, and it took an hour to get inside. Like, you, I don't. I'm telling you. You've got time right now, use it, use it effectively and learn this undivided devotion to God now while you're single. It's harder to learn when you're married. It's harder to learn when you're dating somebody. Capitalize on the time that you have now. And here's the reality, when you are fully satisfied by God is when you are able to fully enjoy his creation. If you're not able to learn right now how to be fully satisfied by God, what makes you think that you're going to be able to do that when you're married? When you're, you've got way more distractions, way more things to attend to, a whole other person and potentially a family one day to care for and to nurture and to lead and to develop and give yourself a way to. Learn right now in your life, no matter whether you're dating or whether you're single, make it your mission to be so unbelievably focused at being fully and completely satisfied by God, you will not regret it. And I love the the fact that Jesus lived the true definition of life and life to the full. And he was single. And in John chapter 15, he says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain, some translations would translate as, now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, the fullness of joy that I'm walking around with in my singleness, Jesus is saying, I have because of my connection to my Father in heaven, a perfect example for you and for me of what it looks like to live life and life to the full is to be fully devoted to God. No exceptions. So now let's talk about sex. Everybody's been waiting for this one. Genesis chapter two, verse 25. Let's put this on the screen. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Praise the Lord. Y'all are that timid to talk about sex. Okay, cool, let's open it up then. Uh, Sex predates sin. I don't know if you've been told this, but if you have, I want to undo it. If you've been told that sex is bad, they were wrong. Sex is not bad. Sex is really good. It was made by God. It was made for God. God made it in the garden with Adam and Eve with design and intention. He, I'm 100% sure from the context of that verse, God didn't look down on Adam and Eve doing things that married people do, and go, no, that's not what you do. He's like, no, that's the way I I made you. I told you, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, be fruitful in your life and have a bunch of kids. In other words, have a lot of sex. And some of you are so uncomfortable right now. (laughs) It's okay, I promise. And here's the danger, and we're gonna read something here in just a minute. I'm gonna be so over tonight. Woo! The thought that sex is evil and is bad does far more harm than it does good. And I'm gonna kind of pull this apart a little bit. Let's jump back to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. For those of you that grew up in Christian school, this probably feels like a sword drill where you're just jumping around uh, in your Bible. But uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter (coughs) four, Paul says this. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, We instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you were living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. In other words, recreated. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality leads us to the term pornea, which is where we get the term porn, which we'll talk about in just a a second. That each of you, should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Let's stop right here for just a second. Holy and honorable. And it has two implications. Paul's saying honor your body and holiness with God's design and intention and honor towards each other. When you think about expressing yourself sexually, you need to honor the other person because that is God's intention. He goes on to expound upon it a little bit more in verse five, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister which leads us to the reality that there is no such thing as casual sex. If we're going to honor someone we cannot objectify them and passionate lust would lead us to the idea that when we have sex we're having it for the reason that we want our pleasure to be fulfilled. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way of Jesus. If you're to possess your your body in holiness and honor, you're seeing the other person and you're caring about them more than you're caring about your desires and your desire for pleasure. He goes on, "The the, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. And we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And this is like the disclaimer, you you can be mad with me, but honestly, you're probably mad with God if this frustrates you. That God has given you a specific instruction for holiness and honor. Holiness to his way, his intention, and honor to the people in your life. So how do we do that? How do we conduct ourselves in honor towards the other person? Here's the reality is freedom is often mischaracterized in our culture as being able to just do whatever you want. But that's not the way that Jesus referred to it. He referred to it like this. Freedom is about how we have been set free to live as God intended and therefore experience a full, beautiful and good life. Freedom is freedom from shame and condemnation, freedom from distractions, freedom from the lust of your heart to be able to say, I'm gonna walk in the way of Jesus and I'm gonna be devoted to him because I know that if I want full and complete satisfaction, I have got to stay with God. Some clarity about sex is this. In God's plan, sex is reserved for marriage and is an activity of intimacy and serving, not self-gratification. This is contrary to what the culture would say about sex. Culture has reduced sex to something just that we do to feel good because we want to, where we want to, and how we want to. And that is not how any part of Scripture talks about sex. It's so interesting to me that Paul's first example of idolatry is sex. In Romans chapter 1, we don't have time to read all of it. But it comes from this thing that was happening in that day in the, in, the, in the city of Ephesus where Paul actually spent multiple years. There was a goddess of sex and people would come from all around the world to worship this goddess of sex by having sex with one of the 1,000 prostitutes that were kept in this temple in downtown Ephesus. And Paul's looking at this and going, that's not worship. That's not how you conduct your, your body with holiness and honor. Holiness and honor requires a relationship. It requires connection. It it, it has to have intimacy. It has to be equally about the other person, not coming to some temple to to gratify the the desires of your heart to worship this goddess of sex. And I think that, that that reality points us to the fact that sex is not God. It's just not Therefore, it cannot provide lasting fullness or happiness. It simply cannot. And I think if we were all just getting a little bit beneath the surface of our life tonight and we were to be just really gut-level honest, it's very consistent that we look for sex to give us fullness or to give us happiness. We can't afford to make that mistake. Because sex very simply isn't God. I was fascinated when I read an article the other day from a former writer for Playboy. And she tells the story of how she engaged in countless different opportunities of casual sex. She writes this article, not from a Christian perspective necessarily, but her observation on the sexual revolution and the removal of sex from intimacy and from connection and from relationship. And she says this, the lie that I told myself for decades was I'm not in pain, I'm empowered. Casual sex is fraught with insecurity and miscommunication. Intimacy and love are punchlines. When a man I slept with had the courtesy to reach out, I mistook relief for happiness. Rewiring my brain to be grateful for the bare minimum. The saddest realization is how low I set the bar. A lifetime of allowing myself to be the other woman taken for granted or treated like a doormat under the false pretense of being empowered came to a head one night with the arrival of a text message from an on-again, off-again lover. "Good night, baby, I love you, it said. Quickly followed by wrong person. Rock bottom doesn't always look like losing everything or ending up in jail. Sometimes it can be that sick feeling in your gut when you know emotionally you're done. I wanted to be able to have meaningless sex like a guy, but it didn't work. After years of writing for Playboy, I've learned that it doesn't work for a lot of men either. For years, I tried unsuccessfully unsuccessfully not to catch the fields. Even that expression is so telling, she writes, about the way emotions are viewed regarding relationships, as if they're a cold or the flu or some kind of sickness you need to get over. Don't set the bar low. Set the bar very, very high because God has an intention for it, an intention that is there for your protection, for our survival, for the care of our souls. When you begin to look at the industry around porn, you find that 43% of people in today's world would say that porn is now morally acceptable. 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic and 40 million U.S. adults regularly view porn. I read an article the other day that suggested that the porn industry costs the businesses of America $16 billion from people looking at porn during work. Our culture has a problem with the way that we view sex because we've removed it from God's intention and God's way. The reality is, is that the only place safe enough to hold the power of sex is marriage. Our pastor has said that for years and years and years. It's not us holding on to some traditional value, and it's not even us trying to beat you over the head with it tonight. It's just us trying to be honest with you. Don't set the bar low, because people in the world are even catching up. A former writer from Playboy is catching up and seeing sex isn't God. It can't supply fullness, and it cannot supply happiness. Here's the reality, God has a beautiful, intention for your romantic relationship and sex life. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? And maybe tonight you don't trust him, but will you try? Will you wrestle with it? Will you give it a chance? Will you give God an opportunity to be the only thing and the only person that you run to? And here's the the truth. When you submit yourself to God's authority, you are safe and sure to be fruitful. You're safe and you are sure to be fruitful. Because God made it. God knows it. And I think it could be easy to get to the end of a message like this. I feel like we took the content of your life and we pulled it out in the open and the lead emotion to be shame or condemnation. There's a story in the Old Testament of an Old Testament prophet called Hosea. And God goes to Hosea and he says, see that promiscuous woman over there? See that woman who's not living in the sexual ethic and the sexual design that I have? I want you to go and marry her. I want you to have kids with her. So he does, he goes and marries her and he has kids with her. And then after she's done having kids, she, she runs back off and enters back into prostitution of that day and sells her body. And it's in the moment that she has been used, she has been abused and hurt beyond belief. God looks at Hosea and says, go buy her back, pay full price. And in y'all's relationship, don't let her call you master like she called the people that she was in prostitution with and in slavery with. Invite her to call you husband. God wrote this beautiful story together, I believe, to prophesy the way that he would be faithful to the people of Israel every time that they would be unfaithful. And I believe it translates directly for you and for me. No matter how many times you've messed up, no matter how many times that you've operated outside of God's intention and God's way, God's saying, I paid in full for you. Paul uses that language in his letter to the church in Corinth. For you have been bought with a price, honor God with your bodies. God God gave everything in Jesus to have you. He's just saying, come, allow me to be your authority because when I'm your authority, you will find true fullness and true happiness because I can only be good God has been so faithful for generations in this specific topic he has no intention of giving up on you he sent Jesus to ensure that you and him could do life and life to the full not just on earth but forever remember the second wedding story where we're all gathered around a table with our creator, dining and communing with him as his royal and distinct priesthood. That's your calling. You're worthy of it because Jesus said so, which means no one can change it. Jesus, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for your truth. God, thank you for your beautiful intention for us. God, thank you for your provision for us every step of the way. God, thank you for Jesus and your faith in us. God, thank you for calling us and reconciling us to yourself. God, I pray that over the next few minutes that we would sing the song that we are about to sing with our loudest voice, trusting in your goodness and trusting in your faithfulness and trusting the fact that your mercy has followed us all the days of our life. And there is no force in the world or in the heavens that stands even slightly against the power of your mercy and grace. God, I pray that we would take hold of your life and that we would experience your love all the days of our life. God, I pray that you would unveil our faces so we could see clearly what you are asking of us. God, we say this in your son's name.